Welcome everyone to Conversations in Cybersecurity. I'm Tim Erlin, your host. And it, it's really hard to say whether we're at the, the peak of the hype cycle for generative AI yet, but it's nearly impossible to ignore at this point. And cybersecurity as an industry has certainly considered the risks and benefits of generative AI. You can see information about that, analyses all over the place. But regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of support for the technology itself, the reality is it's not going anywhere at this point, which means that organizations need to develop policies for governance and to understand how compliance regulations may apply when it comes to generative AI. For this conversation, I'm joined today by Walter Haydock. Walter is the founder and CEO of StackAware. He was previously director of product management at Prevacera, a data governance startup. Before entering the private sector, he served as a professional staff member for the Homeland Security Committee at the US House of Representatives, and as an analyst at the National Counterterrorism Center, and as a reconnaissance and intelligence officer in the Marine Corps. Perhaps most immediately relevant, however, Walter has a course on Maven called Securing AI-Powered Transformation, Managing Risk and Supercharging Productivity that actually covers this topic. So while his background is impressive, it's that course that really wanted, uh, made me bring him to the table for this conversation around compliance and governance and uh, generative AI. So Walter, thank you for taking the time uh, to join me for this episode. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tim. Really appreciate the invitation. Looking forward to diving into the content. Yeah. So we, we, we often sort of conflate compliance and risk in conversations about cybersecurity. But I'd like to start off by talking mostly about compliance around this topic. And maybe we could even just start with a little bit of a discussion around which regulations you see that are most impacted by the introduction of sort of mainstream generative AI. Yeah, yeah, great question. So I think that compliance can form a risk for organizations if they aren't abiding by the regulations that are applicable to them. Uh, and, and that is a major risk alongside true cybersecurity risk, which I would call you know anything that threatens data confidentiality, integrity, and availability. But on the compliance side, I break it down into, there are really kind of three categories from a compli compliance perspective. There's one, which is the, the privacy side of things. There's two, which is the intellectual property side of things and then there's three which is the the other category which includes kind of marketing and, and claims that you're making about your technology and I'll, I'll touch those in in that order so on the first side privacy this is going to be really challenging because if you look at regulations like the european union's general data protection regulation the yeah. uh california consumer privacy act there are a lot of requirements that allow individuals to request how their data is being handled, uh, request information on that, to request deletion of their data. Yeah, and the right to be forgotten. So yes, yes, yes. So if, if you have an entry in a structured database, if, if you're in you know, a PostgreSQL database with your name and your email address and a company gets a request under GDPR to to delete that information. Yeah, there's some complexity. You need to make sure that you've deleted all copies of it. You need to track where all that information is. But it's conceivable that you could eventually do that 100% and, and say that you have complied with the regulation. But yeah. 
where it gets really challenging is if you've got a model that was somehow trained on that information, which, you know, we can talk about later, whether, whether you should even be doing that. I mean, that's where it gets really tricky. I mean, how are you going back? Are you rolling back the model so it forgets that information? What if the model is just able to, uh, you know, predict that information, even if it's never been trained on it? You know, you've got these these generative AI tools are, are pretty impressive. You know, it's conceivable that these models could intuit some of this information from, you know, just other pieces of data that that they're given. You know, how do you address oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great um, question. Because you can't. I mean, if the data doesn't doesn't exist, but the model could theoretically produce it, you can't you can't delete it. Do you? Are you then required to to, to ensure that the model can't produce that specific data, which seems like a, a near impossibility? Yeah, I mean, we're in uncharted territory. I think you know. I'll give you an example. Like if you if you gave everyone in my family uh, the name, their names, their you know dates of birth, their uh, you know, other information about them, but you didn't give my information uh, to the model. But, you know, and then you said something like, you know, uh, people uh, of this age are, you know, of this generation are highly likely to name their, uh, you know, firstborn son after themselves and add a junior to it. You know, what is the, what is the name of the son of Walter Haydock Sr.? <laughs> You, yeah, you never yeah. gave my data to the model, but it can pretty reliably predict what the name of the firstborn son of well, Walter so, Adok is. I, I mean, that, that's a that's certainly a consideration if you as an organization are using generative AI as, AI as a tool, but um, there are a relatively small number of, of companies that are building their own LLMs, large language models, right? So does it become the responsibility of that vendor who's produced the the AI tool to manage that aspect of compliance? Or, you know, am I as someone who's consuming that tool, using it as a product? I mean, it becomes my compliance burden ultimately, but I want to pass it off to that vendor, I suppose. Yeah, so there's there's a supply chain privacy issue here. So for example, if if I am your customer and you use the OpenAI API, for example, Yeah. And then I make a, a GDPR request for you to uh, to purge my, my personal data and you you verify my identity and all that. Then you need to go to all your subprocessors, OpenAI right. being one of them, and then make those requests. So, you know, that gets very challenging. And they need uh, to be able then, to service that request. I mean, that's key, right? If they can't service that request, then I, I cannot be compliant with GDPR and use them as a service because there's no way for me to, to fulfill a GDPR request for deletion. Right. And there are some requirements about, you know, you need to produce documentation proving who you are. So, you know, it, it's not just Joe Schmo on the internet sure. says delete, delete my name. Um, but still, you know, and making sure that you've established standard operating procedures to actually go through that process. You know, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of companies out there using AI that aren't thinking through this fully. And when they get their first, um, GDPR, you know, uh, data deletion request, it's going to be kind of a scramble oh. to go through that supply I mean, chain. Yeah, there, there, there are companies out there with employees who are, you know, pasting all kinds of information into, into chat GPT to, to do things that, you know, they haven't considered the risk of at all, of course. Right, right. And that's, that's kind of what my, my course is focused on is, is building a framework, because as, as you said it, you know, these tools aren't going away. So, establishing the right processes and procedures to use them securely and in a privacy preserving manner is right. critical. 
Yeah. So as a, if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm a, you know, a privacy officer or responsible for, for privacy at my organization, then I need to be considering the creation of a policy and whatever controls are appropriate for my employees using these, these generative AI tools, basically. A hundred percent. And I, I have a draft policy that I'm, that I offer for free uh, for any of your listeners who are, who are interested. I can send, send you the link over. Um, that kind of has a template for how, how to treat this and how to approach it. What, what do you think, is there something, is there anything in that, that draft policy that, that people would find particularly surprising, do you think? I would say that the biggest thing you, you need to have in place is a, a risk acceptance mechanism, because like I said, so much of this is unknown right now. You know, I mentioned the, the model generating uh, content that's that's personal uh, data under the GDPR, for example, you, you're going to need to have some way of accepting risk because the, the the regulation and legislation is just not there yet and is not clear. A lot of this stuff is going to have to be litigated in the courts. I know there's a big suit against OpenAI, um, you know, because uh, some anonymous folks are saying that it ingested their personal information without consent, which mm-hmm. I mean may or may or may not be true um but you know a lot of the stuff is going to have to get litigated so that there's a framework in place but in the meantime businesses can't stop and those that just say hey this is banned they're going to get left behind so you need some method for risk acceptance and and a business owner is going to have to take that on in my opinion and that's something that the policy template provides for yeah that's interesting that's interesting and to consider whether I mean, you obviously don't want to be the, the, the organization that's, that's involved in that litigation. It would be better to have some, some other organization be the ones who, who um, spend the resources to, to sort of follow that. <laughs> but, of course. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Um, the, if, if we're good on privacy, the, the second thing is, is intellectual property, which I, I think is a related topic. You know, personal data aside... I think this is even less clear than, than the personal data. Uh, you know, people are going to be more sensitive to the, to the privacy aspects than, than the IP, but the IP is important. You know, you look at all these tools out there that are uh, especially generating images. Like if you're a stock image company right now, you know, you, you're probably in full panic mode because yeah. mid-journey, I mean, that can produce amazing images with, you know, and it's less than $100 for an annual subscription. And you can just use that thing, you know, as much as you want. Um, so yeah, stock images, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of writing on my own and, and I'm concerned about B, A, becoming commoditized, but also B, you know, generative AI tools using my uh, information for, for other, uh, you know, to, to create other derivative works, so to speak. And, you know, I think the, the regime in place is, is not at all clear. I think there are going to be, again, some lawsuits that determine this. If you look at Japan, I think they're, they're pursuing an interesting approach, which is saying that essentially, if you train on copyrighted material, you don't, that's not a copyright violation, only a direct copying of something would be a copyright violation. And, and frankly, I think we're going to have to get kind of that place. And then people will be able to put them, uh, you know, put into effect controls like uh, you can say you can already tell chat GPT agents not to index your site and not to scrape it. Um, I think folks who want to opt out of that will will need to be able to do that or, or put up paywalls or, or authentication and thing, things like that. Well, but the, there's an interesting problem there in that if I want to use that that AI tool, that generative AI tool 
it, it's most effective for me to train it on the things that that you know are mine like the example that comes to mind is if i want it to produce blog posts for me that sound like all my other blog posts i have to feed it all my other blog posts but there's no way for me to say only use that 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 training data for me right because the the generative ai benefits from the broader base of, of training material and i i can't help but wonder if those those organizations that are producing the tools will have to at some point provide a way to segregate training data so that they can protect the intellectual property yeah i mean i you you certainly can just train an llm on a specified data set if you wanted to a lot of the commercial ones like the open ai api don't do that but you you certainly could run your own llm and just train yeah. it on your own work i i use uh you know i use this uh, open source package called llama index to train the gpt4 api or to allow it access to uh my all my content when i'm generating mm -hmm. new content you know for idea generation and things like that so i'm already doing that with my own work of course it uses the entire corpus of GPT-4 uh, as well when creating new right. works. So, you know, it's got that. But, you know, I think organizations that only want to train on certain data, I think they will, they will do problem. that. It's solvable. And in some ways, it's better because when you have these general purpose uh, generative AI LLMs, they, uh, A, tend to do a lot of hallucinating and B, they're, yes. they're less specialized. You know, if you're, if you're, doing, you know, I, there's this company I, I know about that's doing um, protein generation for medicines using generative AI. And, you know, you probably don't want to train that on Shakespeare if you're creating, you know, protein structures because the LLM will be confused. So I think we'll see specialized models emerging and specialized data sets. And some organizations will want to segregate what they're trained on. But kind of they're in the middle, there's all this, you know, uh, the, the gray area that's that's going to be a big problem. Yeah, I mean, so we're talking about about the risk to intellectual property, um, and you said you, you feel like that's a bigger deal than 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 privacy um, or a more opposite. I no, remember exactly. I'd say I'd say privacy is probably the bigger deal. I think that's going to get the more attention. Although intellectual property is also going to get a lot of attention as well, because I mean, when there's money at stake, <laughs> folks are going to have something to say about it. Yeah, of course. And I, you know, I think about the copyright situation. You know, Midjourney is a good example, right? How how close does the the AI produced image have to be to the copyrighted image in order to con constitute a violation, right? Right, right. And you know, if you look at fair use for, for existing copyright law, it's it's pretty vague. It's pretty vague. You know, it's a kind of case by case. Like, is the uh, you know is the organization damaged? How much information do you use from a given? Uh, source, you know, I yeah. think we're going to see some sort of regime where, um, you know, and this uh, on the commercial side, if you look at ads, for example, like if you if your business model is predicated on creating a lot of boilerplate content, drawing in people to click on ads, I think you're going to have a big problem. Yeah. Um, so what I'm I'm expecting in the future is uh, they're going to be, you know, the, the the top tier creators, the ones who have really useful and really detailed um, and really uh, nuanced content, they're going to be able to charge a premium and they're going to put that behind paywalls. And then there's just going to be this mass of AI generated stuff out there. Um, and I'm, we're already seeing in, in Bing, for example, Bing is now serving up ads 
in your requests, in your queries, uh, in response to them, it's saying, hey, I see you're interested in, uh, I just made a LinkedIn post on this there. I see, I see you're interested in SQL databases. Have you looked at these solutions? Which I, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that works as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. Um, so there were two there were two things that we talked about, privacy, uh, intellectual property. I think there was a third that, that you were going to touch on as well. Yeah, then there's there's kind of the the other uh, side of things, and you know I've got uh, some some strong opinions out there. I think some some regulatory agencies have have made a lot of noise with uh, not a lot of specificity. For example, the Federal Trade Commission, um, they, they've they've been very loud about uh, the impacts of of generative AI and and what not to do. You know, they they've warned companies very strongly. Um, you know, about false advertising on, on their claims. Um, I would say that, that that's kind of a minefield and, and we're gonna see a lot of regulation by enforcement in that respect. So uh, that, that, that's gonna be a tricky place to be. I don't think that's the right approach. I think Congress needs to clearly spell out what the rules of the road are uh, rather than having regulatory agencies make examples out of people. But unfortunately, uh, the state we're in, at least in the United States, that's kind of how things go is just regulation by enforcement. And then that sets the, the guardrails. And then everyone except for the original quote unquote offender will, will know what to do from that point forward. But I, I'm hopeful that there will be a, a better way. But unfortunately, I'm not seeing signs that there will be. Yeah, I, t I tend to agree with you. I think that's the, the way it's going to go, um, unfortunately, you know, for better or worse, I guess. Yep. And organizations just need to be prepared for that reality. You know, you can you can lobby as much as you want for uh, clear regulation. But if you don't get it, then uh, you just got to be prepared for that. And I would say that's something that uh, security teams, that um, legal teams, privacy teams need to be having very detailed conversations about. And that's, you know, I'm trying to provide some guardrails focused at the intersection of uh, AI, privacy, and security in, in my course and, and some of my offerings. Um, but it's it's going to be challenging. You're going to need to be able to adapt quickly and make changes as as new things come up because this is a very fast-moving space. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. So we started out talking a little bit about how, you know, compliance and risk are, are sort of can be conflated when we talk about cybersecurity. We know that compliance and risk aren't necessarily the same thing, but they are two sides of the same coin. So when we think about generative AI and its introduction into sort of the mainstream uh, of organizations, where do you see existing security controls intersect with generative AI? Are there security controls today that are relevant to that the adoption of generative AI? Yeah, there, there definitely are. And one thing that I'm doing right now is I, I'm mapping the NIST AI risk management framework to the NIST cybersecurity framework to the NIST privacy framework to come up with a trifecta of, of all those controls and seeing where they overlap. And, and here are some areas where they do. Um, least privilege is certainly one of the things that, that applies. Uh, I'll give it a, a concrete example. If you've got a, a database that you're hooking up to an LLM, you'll want to make sure that if you make an API call to it, it's not going to return everything in the database and dump that into the LLM. That's just just generally good security practice. But you know, more specifically with with AI, you don't want to be dumping customer names and email addresses unless there's a very clear reason and you're intentionally doing that for the for the analysis. If you're just looking up, you know, 
what was the, you know, if you're trying to predict revenue based on a geographic location of the customer, you don't need personal data to be part of that, uh, part of that analysis. So least privilege is something that, that, that definitely applies. Trust boundaries are another thing, especially with the release of function calling capabilities with the GPT-4 and GPT-3.5 APIs. You're going to see lots of um, situations where the LLM can invoke functions on behalf of a user query. And we've already seen some of the prompt injection examples out there. But having a check, uh, a business logic check, on some of those invoked functions, if you're using an LLM is gonna be critical because you really don't want, um, you know, for example, I was just looking earlier today, there's an example where somebody chained together multiple different ChatGPT plugins and, and then set them loose on a uh, malicious website that, that the researcher had created. And basically the malicious website instructed the LLM to like call uh, information uh, to use then to go to Zapier, which is an integration tool that had access to the researcher's Gmail, and then return uh, data from that uh, that email via an API call to uh, a given URL, and then uh, using that as a as a parameter, and then so the researcher could then capture this data um, from that from that call or from that navigation to the to the given URL. So um, having business logic that confirms you know, the validity and the, and the, um, and the, the security of, of a given function call is going to be critical. This is really, I mean, that's really interesting to think about the, the development of LLMs as part of the, the overall threat model. Um, if you think about how, you know, we're, we're migrating largely from web applications being sort of the center of, of the universe to APIs and the interconnectedness we get with APIs, you now have, an LLM that is a consumer of APIs potentially, and you have to protect the data that's coming across. That's the least privileged piece, but also an LLM that is potentially a you know a threat actor in those scenarios, whether whether with malicious intent or not. And the controls that you you place around both the APIs that you own and maybe the partner APIs that you have in your environment and maybe the the SaaS APIs that you you're connected to. It just it creates a whole mess of of challenges, I think, for the existing controls that that people may or may not have in place for their their APIs or the APIs for which they're they're responsible. Yeah, and and especially when you get into autonomous agents, you know, auto GPTs and things like that, that's where it gets really really wacky um, when you've got an agent that's going out on the internet on its maybe even it's directing itself where to go. It could stumble across. A uh, what what Daniel Meisler calls a an AI canary that kind of feeds it a malicious prompt and that mm. could cause real damage to uh, to your organization. I'm sure there are these things sitting out there on the internet right now, just yeah. waiting for an unsuspecting agent to come across it. And then you know if you're connected through through an ecosystem of, of APIs, that could really cause a lot of damage if uh, if you don't have the right controls in place. Yeah, I think there are going to be some really interesting situations and, and vulnerabilities and exploits for us to talk about in the in the not too distant future here. Um, should be a really interesting time to be in, in cybersecurity, as, as it has been for so many years. Indeed. Never gets boring. Listen, Walter, I want to thank you for, for spending some time on this this topic. Um, I know we mentioned the, the course that you have a couple of times. Um, uh, do you want to uh, provide any information about that course for the, the listeners in case they're, they're interested in it? Yeah, I really appreciate that. So 
myself and Rob Wood, who's the Chief Information Security Officer for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, are putting together a cohort-based course that is kicking off in uh, a little under two weeks. And we are going to go deep on all of these topics while also providing actionable frameworks and playbooks for organizations to just plug and play. And uh, this will help them manage the cybersecurity, the privacy and the compliance risk from generative AI tools while allowing their organizations to use them effectively. So not blocking innovation, but putting on the proper guardrails for innovation. That sounds awesome. Thanks again, Walter, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tim. Appreciate you having me on.